0: two can keep a secret if one of us is dead i'm pam and i'm rhonda thanks Thanks for for tuning tuning in hello listeners and welcome back to me and pam (laughs) the the me and pam show (laughs) we hope you enjoyed your thanksgiving break Thank you for not burning down the streets when Pam and I took our week off. We very much enjoyed the family time.
1: Mm-hmm. But we're taking we are another back. week off at the end of this month too. So
0: yes, yeah, so um, we'll give you time to
1: prepare emotionally <laughs> yeah. for
0: that important announcement. We're we're taking some time off for Christmas too. All right. So our theme for this week is. Um, you know, kind of coincides with December and the cooler weather, except not for Pam because she's in Florida. But we figure December brings in cold weather, and what is best served cold?
1: Revenge. Revenge. I thought you were going to go winter themes. So I was like, no, no, no. We changed it. We changed <laughs> the theme. I'm like, because mine is not winter. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, well, there you go, will... people. We changed our theme, because we were going to do, like, wintery whatever themes, and then we decided to change it to Revenge, <laughs> and I so thought right. Rhonda, like, didn't change it. I was like, no, we changed it. <laughs> She's over there, like, shaking her head at me, no, and she no. looks so panicked. <laughs> I'd be like, well, but it's a freestyle, because <laughs> mine's not winter.
0: <laughs> you get two this month. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> no, I was, I had a thing going there. It was good. It was good. I just panicked. It's okay.
0: <laughs> All right. So revenge is best served cold, which is kind yes. of why I thought to change it from winter to revenge in the first place. Just by the okay. way. So I could say that one
1: line. I get it now. Yes.
0: Are you sure? I needed a warning. <laughs> Do you feel, are you like, is your heart back on its normal pace there?
1: Yeah. You Because know, that would have been the end of the world had we had our topic messed up. <laughs> We can no longer carry on.
0: We are a themed podcast. Darn it. <laughs> okay, well, it's my turn to go first. And wait, Pam, do we have announcements?
1: Other than the the same old, same old. Go follow us on social media. All right. All you new people that keep following us, we see you. We do see you. I we stalk I, you to make sure have... that neither of us know you. We know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: we know. I've seen a couple of names I didn't know, and I was like, ooh, who are you? Where are you from? Mm -hmm. We get very excited about it, So, yes,
1: we've stalked you if you followed us, and we don't know you personally. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. We don't know your name still, but thank you. (laughs) All right, well,
0: my case for today takes us to the border of Tennessee and Mississippi from 1964, huh? Mississippi. Mississippi. We don't pronounce all those S's. It's way too much. It's too many S's. I mean, Tennessee pronounces all Tennessee their double has a letters. lot of S's too. Well, it's it's kind of not, like not Tennessee, S's
1: double letters. Yeah,
0: yes. Tennessee was like we're going to throw some double letters in there. Mississippi was like hold my hat.
1: M-I, crooked letter? Crooked letter? I crooked letter? Crooked letter? I humpback? Humpback? I Mississippi. That's how you spell it, people. <laughs>
0: Alright, so from 1964 to 1970, Buford Hayes Pusser was the sheriff of McNary County, Tennessee. And I hate his last name. He will, from here on, be called Bu or Buford.
1: Buford.
0: Yes. I mean, he was born in... Uh, yeah, right here. 1937. So that was a name back then. Alright, well... McNary County is a sizable county that currently hosts just shy of 27,000 residents. I don't know what
1: its size was back then, but it's pretty big. 27,000? Mm-hmm. That's not that big. For one county? That is not that big. 27,000? Yeah, it's supposed to be like a small county. That's a, that's a decent whole, size. I said it wasn't that big, thinking you were talking about a town. Now you're telling me the whole county is twenty seven. Yes, the county has twenty seven thousand residents. That is not big at all. No, that's a decent size. That is not. You're wrong.
0: You police twenty seven thousand people and see how well you do
1: it. Twenty seven thousand is not a big county. You police that many people and see how well you. I'm do not policing it. anybody, and you know what? Neither yeah. are you. So yeah, not currently. We're working on it. So, it's not
0: very big. All right. Well, Buford is best known for his virtual one-man war on moonshining, prostitution, gambling, etc. Crimes of that nature along the Mississippi and Tennessee state line. His hard work has inspired books, songs, movies, and even a TV series. So, Buford was born in, get this, Pam, Finger, Tennessee.
1: Finger. Yeah. They don't like that. <laughs> don't either. On December 12,
0: 1937, to Helen and Carl Pusser. his father was the police chief of Adamsville, Tennessee, and like many Southern boys, he was cornbread fed, which meant that he grew up to be a giant. At hmm. six foot six, I like ex- some
1: cornbread,
0: cornbread fed at six foot six, Bu excelled at playing football and basketball in high school. After graduation, he joined the Marine Corps, but unfortunately never made it past recruitment training before being medically discharged because of his asthma. In 1957, he moved to Chicago, where he, of course, took on the only logical career path and became a local wrestler known as Buford the Bull. It fits. The dude was a giant.
1: The Buford the Bull. Yes. I just can Buford.
0: <laughs> it was while in Chicago that he met the woman he would soon call his wife, Pauline Mullins. The pair married on December 5th, 1955, excuse me, 1959, and moved back to Tennessee in 1962. Not long after returning to town, Buf followed in his father's footsteps and became chief of Adamsville and also the constable from 1962 to 64. In 64, the McNary County Sheriff, James Dickey, was killed in a car accident. And Bew was then elected to take his place, making him the youngest ever sheriff of in Tennessee history. He was 27 years old. That is young to be a sheriff. That
1: is pretty young to be a sheriff. It's a lot of responsibility. Is your sheriff popular? Yes. You know you've seen my sheriff's my, my sheriff's stuff that I've sent you down yes. here. Yes. Is your sheriff popular like my sheriff? Very. This man. He insp- I just said earlier he
0: inspired songs, no, no, no. TV shows, TV I'm series. I meant your
1: sheriff, like your current oh, sheriff. Oh,
0: here. Um, yes. I would say so. He's been sheriff for like 20 plus years. He's not a ham like your sheriff is.
1: My sheriff is a ham. Yeah. His face is everywhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, ours is... Old. He's really well-known, though. His family's lived in this area for ages, so he's pretty well-liked. He's had some pretty good contenders run against him over the years, and he's he wins out. I'll tell you, his deputies really like him, because once Marion County Sheriff's Department gets their hooks into you, those guys stick around there forever.
1: Well, although... My county isn't a small county, so... He's uh got a lot to manage. This guy. Mm. Mm-hmm. I will. I say. just looked it up. My county is seven hundred eighty-seven thousand nine hundred and seventy-six people. That's small. And you're saying twenty-seven thousand is a big county.
0: That's that's pretty. That's, that's decent size.
1: That's a lot to manage. Twenty-seven thousand. Yes. Like two seven comma zero zero zero. Yes. And I'm I just, thinking, just said 787,000,
0: and I'm you said that's thinking, small.
1: You're confused, ma'am. I don't I think you know being, how to do numbers. I was being sarcastic
0: when I said that's small. I was 27 making fun of you, making county. fun of me.
1: 27. I'm just thinking as a deputy. We can, we can move on. The size of that <laughs> that's county like a, having to patrol that That's Pat a small them. town. I mean, it's not huge, but it's a decent size. Anyway... Agree to disagree. People, let us know because I like when our friends message us and say I'm on so and so side. (laughs) That makes me happy. So let us know. It's twenty-seven thousand. A big. Naples, Florida has nineteen thousand just in that town. I didn't say it was giant.
0: I just said that's a lot of people to manage. That's a that's a fair amount of square footage. It's rural county, Pam. That covers a large
1: area. Mississippi, It is Mississippi. It's Tennessee. Oh, it is Tennessee. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's the state line. They're the same
0: thing. Okay, so he was the youngest sheriff in Tennessee history, and he wasted no time, zero time, setting out to eliminate the Dixie Mafia and state line mob. The M- Dixie Mafia. Dixie Mafia. So here's the thing about the Dixie Mafia. And I'll tell you a little bit of their history in just a minute. But they don't have, like, a defined infrastructure. It's just kind of a band of criminals who have the a common goal, so they often work together. So when, when dealing with people on the streets and they want to throw up gang signs or they have whatever, and so you ask them if they're affiliated or... If you're pissing them off and they want to threaten you, they'll tell you, "Well, I'm part of the Dixie Mafia." Like, no, bro, no, you are not. Because though they may unofficially exist, they pretty well disbanded years ago. Because they were, they didn't have a ruler. There
1: was no leader, like official leader. No, I'm so like, the Dixie Mafia.
0: So you're just claiming to be some gangster, like that? I'm a gangster. That's a up. <laughs> but that's supposed to be a legitimate threat around here because back in the day when they first like really had their name, that was a big threat because they were mm-hmm. incredibly violent. So they still have a little bit of notoriety attached to that name, but there's not a lot of meat behind it anymore. There's not a lot of force behind it anymore. So it's really just humorous to me when you're like in the process of arresting someone and they're like, I'm with the Dixie Mafia. You're going to regret this. And I'm like, shut up, you little twig, and sit in jail. Jail. Yes. <laughs> yeah, You get me worked up and you know my country comes out. Even worse jail. than normal.
1: Jail. Yeah, extra
0: syllables. <laughs> okay, so the actual history I have written down here for the Dixie Mafia. It's a criminal organization based out of Biloxi, Mississippi, is where they got their start. Which is why they're so well known here. And it's composed of mainly white Southerners. They were Those founded the sometime.
1: Those are the best people. Oh, absolutely.
0: To be Just white trash. When
1: did you say? Criminals. What year? In,
0: in the late 60s.
1: Oh, yeah. The
0: best people to be around. <laughs> Just awesome. Um. They were founded sometime in the late 60s and they grew rather quickly, wreaking havoc all over Mississippi and the like mid-south area. Mm-hmm. Their activities mainly included moving stolen merchandise, making and transporting moonshine and the sale of illegal drugs. Just your classics. Beginning in the late 60s, the Dixie Mafia began working as a loosely knit group of traveling criminals. They got their roots performing residential burglary, robbery, and theft. But unlike most gangs or mobs, the Dixie Chicks, I mean,
1: mafia, didn't <laughs> They're have They're not the Dixie one... Chicks anymore, Rhonda. They're just the chicks. Just the chicks.
0: Um, they didn't have one set leader, but rather followed whoever had the most money. Money, money, money was their motivator. Money. <laughs> but despite their informal structure, there was one rule. Snitches get stitches. Oh, yeah. That's the rule in our house. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> basically, do not, under any circumstances, speak to the cops. It will not end well for you. The Dixie Mafia was not connected by family or common country, but instead were loosely connected criminals whose sole goal was to make money and wield control over illegal money-making operations by any means necessary. They commonly took to methods such as influence peddling, bribing public officials, and often murder. So the big thing—the big thing about the Dixie Mafia down here—that gave them such notoriety is when I tell you, bribing officials was a like made them wildly successful. They basically took over the entire Biloxi Police Department. Which you're not familiar with Biloxi, but Biloxi is one of the coastal cities. Mm -hmm. I know where Biloxi is. Okay. Yeah. One of the coastal cities. It's huge. There's all kinds of casinos there, which I'm sure have been there since the 60s or definitely like their big reign was from like the 60s to the 80s. So like definitely during the 80s, there would have been casinos there. But they bribed all of these law enforcement officers to look the other way, to you know, let them continue on with their activities. They bribed like government officials there. And at some point they begin since they're not tied to like a specific family and it's all these random people with the common goal. They basically start infiltrating the police department and take it over completely so that most of the officers in Biloxi were crooked, crooked cops Mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And those who weren't crooked either got ran off or they operated legally with within whatever sphere they could without overlapping the Dixie Mafia's goal, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, until at some point, the FBI had to step in and completely overhaul the entire police department in Biloxi. So basically you couldn't do anything because you may call the police for help in Biloxi and here you are getting a Dixie Mafia guy showing up, and if it was one of their guys or someone they thought they could recruit, you would never see justice for the crime that was committed. So they were kind of a big deal at one point in time. Pretty soon, they gained notoriety for their tendency to carry out contract killings, particularly of their former members who dared to speak
1: to the police. Because what, Pam? Pam? Snitches get stitches. Stitch, stitches get stitches. I almost said it. Sn- stitches get snitches <laughs> and end up in ditches. That's right.
0: Typically, people were only murdered if they planned to testify against one of its members. So either a member turning against them or a civilian who was going to testify
1: against them. Does someone end up in a ditch? Because I feel real bad <laughs> um, <laughs> that I just said that and someone ends up in a ditch. <laughs> No, no ditches. Okay. <laughs> the
0: Dixie Mafia's home base was an area of Biloxi, Mississippi, known as the Strip. The group's unofficial kingpin was named Mike Gillich Jr. And he came from a large, poor family and was of Croatian descent. He owned a string of motels and nightclubs that doubled as strip joints and gambling dens, as well as a bingo parlor. Because, you know, I would love
1: to play some bingo. <laughs> <I> mean- <laughs>
0: You know, I used to go with my grandma sometimes when I was a kid. She always played. And I remember she had uh, her own little daubers. Yeah. Which is the, the ink that you put on the bingo cards for those who aren't grandma-ish enough to know what a dauber
1: is. Some bingo sounds fun. I'm just saying.
0: I That's mean, what you do at your bachelor
1: art party. Bingo. No.
0: <laughs> if you can find bingo for one of those nights where we don't have anything else going on. I will happily go play for a couple of hours. <laughs> go play bingo. <laughs> What'd you do on your bachelorette trip? Ah, uh, bingo, strippers. It's all the same. Yeah, same thing. It was very high-risk bingo. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, he was very well-trusted among almost every member of the Dixie Mafia, even those who typically trusted no one else. Gillich was also the protector of Kirksey McCord Nix Jr., I'll call him Nix a lot, because Kirk C. is a stupid name.
1: (laughs) My guy has an interesting name, too. (laughs) Well, he became
0: one of the group's most notable members. He wreaked a ton of havoc. In December of 1965, at the age of 22, Nix was caught carrying illegal weapons in Fort Smith, Arkansas.
1: Oh, boy. Oh, Arkansas. You don't want to do anything wrong there, because the justice system over there in Arkansas is top-notch. Janked up. I mean, top-notch.
0: <laughs> An old friend of his ran a bordello there, and Nix became involved with their adolescent daughter.
1: Okay. Um, gross. And what is a bordello? Um, that's a really good question. Oh, I never looked up. it up. You're just going to tell us stuff, and you don't even know what it is. Oh, apparently
0: there's a horror comedy called Bordello of blood i think it's just like a hotel type thing okay that's not important well i'm looking it up now a brothel Ah. well that makes sense of course his friend would run a brothel can't be anything as honest as a regular hotel
1: and of course i don't know what it is
0: oh uh, yes never
1: Alright, she would later
0: play a key role in his operations, including direct ties to the murder of Vince and Margaret Sherry. They aren't incredibly important, but that's ultimately what ended up getting him in jail later. In his book, Mississippi Mud, which there's a movie made after, Edward Humes chronicled their murders as the subsequent investigation of Gillich, Nix, and others who were involved either loosely or actively in the murders. With the aid of his father's connections in neighboring Oklahoma, Nix beat the weapon charges in Fort Smith and moved on to other crimes. He was suspected in the murder of a gambler named Harry Bennett, who was about to turn state's evidence against several Dixie Mafia members. Like I said, you don't do that. Although Nix's involvement in Bennett's murder was never proven, this incident precipitated a string of killings that left 25 people dead in six states over the next four years. Bad news bears. Nix was eventually convicted of murdering wealthy New Orleans grocery owner Frank Corso. At the time of the murder, Nix was believed to be employed by Darrell Ward in Clarksville, Texas. Ward was a noted associate of Chicago, Chicago mob boss and is thought to have controlled organized crime and bootlegging throughout Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Mississippi. The Dixie Mafia was strongly connected to the state-line mob and its leader, Carl Douglas White. That name is important. Carl Douglas White. Yes, who ran the state-line mob, which is just a band of criminals between um, Tennessee and Mississippi.
1: How do you become a mob? Uh, how do you, what, what's the difference between a mob and a gang is what I want to know. What's the difference between a mob and a gang and a club? <laughs> There's a club of guys committing crimes. Well, no, because then when you start a committing fraternity crimes, you become a gang or a mob. They're a fraternity of criminals.
0: <laughs> I guess if they have a, a state-sanctioned, established
1: thing. Maybe uh-huh. they
0: do. Well, it's rumored that Nix was only convicted because he wanted to go to jail, and this was all in an effort to escape the wrath of Beeford Pusser. The state line mob, I've got just a little bit on them, was an association of criminals that operated in the 50s and 60s at the Mississippi-Tennessee state line, mostly around Alcorn County, Mississippi, and McNary County, Tennessee. So, like, right through... The area that was Buford's territory, turf wars. Yeah. Well, no, because they were state line. They worked together, like to get things. They were like a network to get things across the Mississippi-Tennessee mm. state line. So they were on both sides. The state line mob was involved in bootlegging, gambling, prostitution, tourist fleecing, robbery, and murder. Oh no. A few of the members were from Phoenix City, Alabama. They had been displaced when martial law was declared by one of the governors there in an attempt to clean up their town. Crime was rampant. All of these governors, sheriffs, they were getting tired of it. The organization owned and operated motels, restaurants, nightclubs all along the Tennessee and Mississippi state line. And these establishments were, st- were centered from, were centered about, like, every type of vice. Drugs, alcohol, women, whatever. And they reaped hundreds of thousands of dollars from sales in illegal moonshine and other contraband. They gained national attention in the 1960s for their ongoing feud with the ever-famous McNary County Sheriff Buford Pussard. Sir. So, obviously, our little mobsters were not afraid to take out obstacles, and given Buford's determination to eliminate them from his jurisdiction, several hits were taken out against him. On February 1st, 1966, Louise Hathcock attempted to kill Bu during an on site investigation of a robbery at the Shamrock Motel. So, the thing about Louise, she was a badass. She was the HBIC of the state-line mob, but she preferred to stay behind the scenes and allowed her henchmen to take the fall for all of their crimes. But, of course, women can't control things, so she had a little boyfriend whose name was Carl White. Remember, that name was important. Mm -hmm. And they were having an affair until she eventually ordered a hit out on her own husband. So once her husband was killed, they could have a public relationship. Louise had a scam going at the Shamrock Motel. She would lure in tourists with the promise of top, top-notch homemade breakfast, and they would get robbed or mugged in the middle of the night. Many were severely beaten or even killed if they made a fuss and didn't hand over their belongings. Well, one of Louise's victims managed to call the police, and with Louise's boyfriend, White, already in jail, she had no one to hide behind. She was facing some serious jail time. So she asked Bew to follow her into a room so she could speak with him. And once inside, she pulled a concealed 38 caliber pistol and shot it from her hip at Buford. She missed him and he like dove sideways, lands on the bed in this room and then fires at her a few times. And she's killed from the return fire this was the first time a member of the mob was taken out by law enforcement and it became a huge deal. So up until this point, he worked really actively to like, but he was very by the book. And so he wanted to take them out by legitimate means and he worked very hard to do so. And he had arrested several of their members, things like that, but none of them had actually ever been killed by law enforcement. Most of the time, they took each other out by, like, rival gangs, rival mobs, whatever. This could not be allowed to stand, and from here on out, there were several att- several other attempts made on his life. Like the very next year, on January 2nd, 1967, he was shot three times by an unidentified gunman. Of course, he survived this, and he was fine, but... Was one of the other attempts made on his life. B was already a local hero for his war on the state line mob, but his name became known nationally after his wife was murdered on August 12, 1967. He had received a call at 4.30 a.m. about a disturbance at the state line. His wife, Pauline, insisted on accompanying him that morning, and when they reached New Hope Road, a black car pulled out behind them like, they had just passed a church, so it, like, pulled out from the church parking lot and, like, was speeding behind them. It pulls out, out from behind them, and once it gets side by side, a hail of bullets just smash into the side of their vehicle. The shots in, end up missing Buford, but Pauline had been struck in the head. In an attempt to escape, Beau drove about two miles down the road before he had stopped. At this point, I mean, he just wants to attend to his wife. He doesn't know that she's dead at this point. Thinking that he had lost his assailants, he begins to tend to Pauline, but the car reappears all of a sudden and starts firing into the vehicle again. This is when Pauline was struck another time in the head, and Buford actually had his jaw shot off with the initial shots, He sank, like, down into the floorboard, and this is ultimately what ended up saving his life. So once he was hit in the jaw, he, like, sank down into the floorboard. They kept Mm -hmm. firing into the car, but, I mean, they they couldn't hit him from there. So he had been struck two, maybe three times in the jaw with a thirty caliber pistol. Despite this, he only spent 18 days in the hospital before returning Mm -hmm. home. From this, he would still have to have, like, several more surgeries to restore his appearance, but otherwise he was fine, which in the pictures we have for Facebook, I'll show you guys some of his before and after pictures. Obviously, Buford is devastated, and he vowed to bring those responsible for Pauline's death to justice. However, despite his attempts, he was unable to bring Nix or any of the others name he named to trial. It was believed that this attack was instigated by Louise's boy toy, Carl White. But nothing ever came of that investigation. No, like I said, no charges were ever pressed. Nix was sentenced to the Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola for the 1971 murders that I talked about of Frank Corso. While imprisoned there, he had ordered the 1987 murder for hire of Judge Vincent Sherry and his wife, Margaret, in Biloxi. So this is like a really famous murderer here because his co-conspirator was the Biloxi mayor, Pete Hallett. And they said that Nix's attorney had stolen hundreds of thousands of dollars that Nix had amassed in a massive lonely heart scam. And they were blaming it on his attorney's new law partner, which was Judge Sherry, which is why they had to be murdered. Not that that's relevant. Not that that's relevant to Buford. But it does show you, like, the level of corruption that was going on in Biloxi there. So, of course, Buford had to do his own investigating because if he couldn't get them, you know, he can't work the case and his cohorts aren't coming up with anything. So he digs into Pauline's murder himself. And he believes that Carl, who was nicknamed Townhead, that Carl Townhead White. more
1: to say than Carl. Aren't nicknames
0: supposed to, like... Make your life make easier? It, yeah. Or, like, indicate who you are as a person? I guess he was the townhead. That's too much. But, Car- but Buford knew that Carl was responsible for this. But remember, Carl was in jail, which is why Louise was in such big trouble for the assault that she had while at that she had performed while at her motel. So it's believed that he had ordered Nix while he was in jail to carry out this hit on Buford for the murder of his girlfriend, Louise. But Buford had also named Carmine Gagliardi, Gary McDaniel, and George McGann. These were some other people that he was interested in for their involvement. So after his wife died, the gloves really came off. Buford wasn't the same nice guy sheriff that he was before. And on Christmas Day, 1968, he actually shot and killed a man, um, Charles Hamilton, after responding to a complaint that Hamilton was threatening his landlord with a gun. So the thing about good old Sheriff Buford is that he typically... His weapon of choice was a large hickory two-by-four. He had, like, smoothed off the edges, so it made, like, this round—not a bat, because it was very thick. Does this sound familiar? Do you know what movie was made after him? No. You've probably seen it. Walking Tall with the Rock. I don't think I have. That's the movie that was modeled after him. Now, there were... The the version with The Rock was a remake because it was originally filmed in, like, seventy two seventy two 72, I think. And it was much closer to the truth, and they actually used his real name in that because the one with The Rock, they changed his name, they changed the state, they changed a fair amount of things. So... As we all should know, sheriffs are an elected position, and in 1970, Buford was deemed ineligible to run again for sheriff because Tennessee apparently had a term limit at this time, so he couldn't run for that election period. He did run again in 1972, but was defeated. At this time, Buford was working with a movie crew who was filming a semi-biographical movie about his life, entitled *Walking Tall*. Buford blamed his ineligibility to get reelected on the controversy surrounding his, the making of his movie. But despite this, he was reelected as constable of Adamsville by a majority of, of voters as a write-in nominee. So they wrote him into that job. Isn't that crazy? He served in this position from 1970 to 1972. So Daryl Bu died on August 21st, 1974. He died from injuries sustained in a one-car accident. Earlier that day, he contracted with Bing Crosby Productions in Memphis to portray himself in the sequel to Walking Tall. That evening, after returning home alone from the McNary County Fair in his specially modifi- modified Corvette, um, Bu hit an embankment at a super high speed that ejected him from the vehicle. The car then caught fire and burned. This accident was like shrouded in controversy, and there was a lot of speculation as to what had caused it. And there were rumors that the steering mechanism and tie rods or tire, that might've, I think I meant to type tire, tire rods had been sabotaged. (laughs) The state trooper who worked the accident, Paul Irvin later became McNary County Sheriff. And he blamed Buford's death on the fact that he was supposedly drunk driving and wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Buford's daughter However, Dawana, that's a terrible name too, was a passenger in another car and came upon the scene only minutes later. So she wanted answers because there was no way that her dad was drunk driving, but the state never performed an autopsy. So there's, like I said, there's a lot of controversy surrounding this. People believe that his vehicle was tampered with. And supposedly, I listened to a podcast for this, for part of this episode, and the podcast is called Gangland Wire Crime Stories, and the lady who has like a whole website dedicated to the Dixie Mafia really gets into the investigation of Buford's death, and apparently a lot of stuff was mishandled. They didn't perform an autopsy. They only submitted like certain parts of his vehicle into evidence. They didn't even submit the whole car for review. She claims that there was a member of the Dixie Mafia who like years after his involvement with the Mafia had actually told her, confessed to her that they did tamper with his vehicle. So there's no proof to say that there was, but it's also kind of believed that The Mafia was trying to infiltrate, like, local government the same way that they had in southern Mississippi. And that's why his investigation into this was mishandled. But before he died, and following his wife's death in 1967, several of the men that Buford had named as being even remotely responsible for Pauline's death were mysteriously found dead themselves. And it's rumored that Buford had taken them out to get revenge. So first up is Carmine Gigliardi, which is a stupid name. So many dumb names here. I'm sorry if these belong to any of you listeners. But he was found floating in the Boston Harbor in 1969, riddled with bullets. And then there was Gary McDaniel, who was found floating in the Sabine River in Texas on February 8th, 1969, Though it's actually more likely that he was murdered by Dixie Dixie Mafia members because it was rumored that he was trying to turn state's witness. And then there's George Albert McCann, who was supposedly shot by Buford in Lubbock, Texas. Apparently he was a big-time gambler, and he was killed during a poker game on September 30th, 1970. And this has been tied back to Buford but it's very unlikely that he committed this one just because of the setting and no witnesses ever came forward to say that he had done anything. But there's the case of Carl Townhead White. That is a completely different story because there's some stuff that happened with his murder that leaves a lot open for questions. So, White and the sheriff were, of course, mortal em- enemies because, you know, he killed the love of his life, and then Carl had to kill Pauline. Such is life, right? Why can't we just not kill people? No, that's ridiculous. Well, to be fair, Louise did try to kill Buford, and so he shot back in self-defense, which there was an investigation that did rule that self-defense But that doesn't stop old Carl from being upset about it.
1: So, when you said, to be fair, to when I said, why can't we just not kill people, I fully thought you were about to say, the earth is overpopulated. (laughs) I thought you were, (laughs) I really thought that's what you were about to say. I don't know why. No, people
0: die out on their own when we exhaust all our resources.
1: (laughs) I just thought that's what you were about to say. (laughs)
0: That's a me thing. I would totally say that. You would. No. <laughs> I mean, sarcastically. Yeah,
1: jokingly. <laughs> but I really thought that's what was about to happen. And your well, answer was way lamer than that. <laughs> I'm sorry to have disappointed.
0: <laughs> Story of my life, Pam. Thanks. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the entire state line shook with the violence and the warfare between... Buford and White. Until around midnight on April second, nineteen sixty nine, when old Whitey pulled up in front of the El Ray Motel. He had a girl with him in the front seat who was the estranged wife of the motel owner. Barry Smith, known as Junior, was the witness for them for this, and he had watched them like pull up into the driveway and had stepped outside to meet them. A verbal altercation had ensued, followed by some gunfire, and when the sun rose on April 3rd, 1969, Carl Townhead White was dead.
1: Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> the, that was very dramatic the way you just read that. <laughs> the
0: woman he had in the, in the front seat with him, her name was Shirley Smith. She had somehow slipped from the passenger side of the vehicle without any injury. Um, However, White was shot in the forehead. Some say that his gun was still, like, in his right hand when the police found his body and, like, pulled him from the car. So, Junior, the motel owner, was actually arrested for this murder, but charges were later dropped, and the the death was ruled as self-defense. But according to the bullet's trajectory, it indicates that... Old Whitey was actually shot by someone on the roof of the motel. Hmm. And of course, rumors immediately named Old Sheriff Buford, but no evidence was ever found. So it's believed that old Bu had hired Junior to kind of start a gunfight between himself and White. And then had subsequently either himself or hired someone to murder him from like a building nearby so that it was like a hit. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I explained that really weird, you guys. But nobody really put much like effort into the investigation of Carl White's murder. As a matter of fact, the... Do- the locals were documented as having said "good riddance," so none were very upset about it.
1: Oh no, that's so upsetting! Oh no, I'm this so mobster sad.
0: was killed. Oh, dang
1: so it!
0: <laughs> Fifty years after Pauline's murder, an anonymous witness has come forward claiming that the night of August twelfth, nineteen sixty-seven was supposed to go down completely different. Apparently, the late-night disturbance call had been a ruse, which, duh. And this was an attempt to get Buford out of his house. Pauline was supposed to stay behind, because why wouldn't she? Because she's not a cop, and she never should have been headed to the scene anyway. So, Nix had been employed by Townhead White, Carl Townhead White, to take out Pauline. Nixon, some of his buddies from Golfport, you know, took the hit and they began planning.
1: Golfport. Golfport. Golfport.
0: golf so Golfport. Golf <laughs> golf Gulf, Golfport. So Nixon had actually planned for a crippled boy to knock on the front door of the Pusser house. <laughs> <laughs> but After
1: guys, she just demonstrated women. knocking on a door for me. Just <laughs> so you guys know. She, she It was an important showed visual. showed us what it was, <laughs> how you knock on a door.
0: It was an important visual. And it was very well performed. It I was.
1: You should win an Oscar or a Grammy. What do actors, ha- what do actors win? I don't Oscar? know. You should win something for that performance. <laughs> I'll take cash, actually. Because I had no idea what it looked like <laughs> until you showed me. Anyway.
0: So they were waiting on Buford to leave the house. The cripple boy is supposed to knock on the door. And then when Pauline answered, he was going to shoot her. But of course, this plan had to change after Pauline went with Buford on his call. This resulted in Nix and his friends, you know, his crew shooting up Buford's car. But apparently, Bu was never actually supposed to be injured. They, they only wanted to kill Pauline. And this is because White wanted Buford to suffer without the love of his life, just like he had to suffer without Louise. And this poor boy, this poor cripple kid who was supposed to take out Pauline was actually murdered a few weeks later because he wasn't officially a part of the mafia and he knew too much.
1: Aww. Poor kid.
0: So as sheriff... Buford Pusser was credited with surviving seven stabbings and eight shootings. Jeez, he's like 50 cent. Yeah. <laughs> His memorial service was held at the Adamsville Church of Christ. So there's actually a museum, and it is the Buford Pusser Home and Museum. So it's His the name house. That gross. He, I know, it really I'm sorry. is. Sorry. <laughs> I looked it up to see if maybe it was pronounced "pucer," because that would be Buford more palatable. Buford Pucer,
1: that was that's still bad. <laughs> Pucer e r. There's no, no d in there. Oh, sorry. Still, it's because I said well, Buford. That's where be the than, d came from. Buford yeah. Pucer.
0: It'd be better than that's, Pusser. It's, yeah. And I looked up the pronunciation, and and it's not pronounced that way.
1: Well, that name's gross, and if it was. Puser, it would be just unfortunate. Right. Buford Puser.
0: Well, his home was turned into a museum. It's a law enforcement museum, and it stands as a monument in time as if waiting for old Sheriff Buford to retor- return home from another shift serving the public. So it's a modest brick ranch style home. And it contains all of the original photos, cars, guns, furniture, memorabilia, whatever of his family. So Old Buey was the subject of several major motion pictures, including, as I've already mentioned, the Walking Tall movies, which the older ones are more true to form. This newer one is, um, is a lot different. I mean, it still shows this ox of a man carrying around a big stick to beat people with, but It's not quite right.
1: But it's got Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yep. You know, I saw him in the credits for a new movie, and they left
0: out The Rock, which I just think is rude. Is he just Dwayne Johnson now? That doesn't seem right. It's not right. Can't outgrow it. Sorry. He literally, I watched him for years growing up as a child cock his eyebrow and sniff the atmosphere, okay? You can't forget that. (laughs) <laughs> you guys, Pam is trying. She's trying can to do it. his face.
1: You gonna snip, You gonna sniff? Aiden can do it really. He can move his eyebrows back and forth like this, but really fast, like fluidly. Anyway, yeah. do you want
0: to look it up? I'm um, sure they had the street renamed after him. What, what, what do I? What, what do I need to look up? Three forty two Pusser Street.
1: Ew. Yeah. How do you spell it? P U S S E R. Oh so just pusser. Yeah. Or Pusser. Well, while you do that. What is what's the address again? Hold on. Three forty two. Yeah. Okay. So
0: there's also a festival held in March of every year in his honor. He is quoted as having said, What's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. It doesn't matter who you are. Which would be the motto of all police officers. So he was questioned about his movie. How have the people in McNary County, Tennessee, treated you since you've become so famous? And this is, I believe, from the Washington Post. And he said, my close friends treat me no differently than they ever did. And I'd say about 80% of the people in, in McNary County are proud of me, or at least they say they are. But there's a handful that never liked me and still don't. They resist every step of my campaign to clean up the corruption, and they have nothing good to say about me now. It's not that these people like crooks, it's just that I think they consider me too big for my britches. There's one man in the county, I won't mention names, who's always badmouthed me. One of the reasons for that, I think, is because when I was sheriff, I was always after him for passing bad checks. But that's life. No matter what you do, you can never make friends with everybody.
1: It's only $10 to go to the museum. Ooh,
0: All right, you guys. When we start our Patreon, you can help pay for us to go visit these places.
1: We don't have (laughs) ten dollars. No, ten dollars isn't the
0: problem. It's the rest of it. It's (laughs) the travel getting up there. That's right. Um, But yeah, like I said, I I was able to verify that he carried the big hickory stick on duty, and there are pictures of him doing so. But I could never find anything that listed why. Only that it was his weapon of choice. So he, when he responded to a call, I mean, he wore his pistol, don't get me wrong, but he had that hunk of wood in his hands, too. Mm Mm-hmm. So, kind of a double revenge story there. I liked it. Well, you
1: know I gotta give a good history lesson. Are you ready for my case? I am. What do you have for me? Okay. I am gonna tell you about a revenge serial killer. Ooh. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So, Charles Standard Severance. What? <laughs> Charles Standard Severance. That is not a name. It is.
0: <laughs> like what about Charles's Standard Severance, which like <laughs>
1: Charles Standard. I Everything that was just Charles Severance, but then I looked him up. Um, Newsflash, he's in prison. I looked him up, you and are. his middle name is Standard, and that was like, cool, I like it. So did you get the address <laughs> so you can become his pen pal? No, but I can send him money if I really wanted to, which I oh, do not right. want to.
0: <laughs> How kind of you.
1: This happened in Virginia. He was born in September of 1960 in Fairfax, Virginia. But Virginia's inmate... System roster is not great. They need to fix that for me. It was not as good as other states that I've looked you up. You know what? We'll write them a letter so they mm. can get right on it. Their Department of Corrections? I need yep. you to update this website, thanks. <laughs> the I need to see the most recent mugshot. I need to see all the classes they've taken in jail. I need to see. Any subsequent crimes committed while yeah. in prison? See what they got in trouble for. I need to see if they've had any parole hearings. I need to see all of it. And I could not see it. I could see Thrive. his name. I could see his sentence and I could see that I could send him money. And that is not <laughs> what I want. We don't want you to know anything else. Just give him and money. He doesn't need money. So, like I said, Virginia. He was born there in 1960. And he had a degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Virginia. Oh, But I don't know. He just worked like odd jobs though. So... There you he go. could be like myself and many other Americans who mm-hmm.
0: obtained a degree and yeah, never but this found was a job. 60s. In the sixties, he's a
1: white male in the he was born in the sixties. So oh, I don't, so. I don't feel like he could have um, gotten a job, but whatever.
0: Maybe he started his degree and then realized he didn't enjoy doing that, but he was too far in, so he just finished getting the degree
1: and then never used it. Maybe. So in April of ninety nine, he had a son. But just a short time later, in 2000, the mother left Charles and claims that she was at a state of, like, near constant emotional abuse and unpredictable behavior by him. Oh. Yeah, and so because of these claims, he lost custody of his son. And that's, like, all that I can find about that whole situation. Not super important, but it does lay a baseline of his attitude. Yeah, it's good he's not beating his kid so there's that yeah well the kid would have been at most one years old um when, when she left him beat. yeah but i'm just saying like at most one when she left him yeah so it's important to know though that around the time that they're going through this split i don't know if they were married but around the time they were separating he was also running for a political position this was his third time
0: running awesome. for political
1: position yeah put him in politics <laughs> The first time was in 1996. He ran to be the mayor of Alexandria, Virginia. He also ran for Congress that same year. Oh, yeah. He'd make a perfect congressman. Mm Mm-hmm. And while on... Oh, and then later in 2000, he ran for mayor again. So mayor twice, Congress once. While on the campaign trail, though, he acted a little weird, even for a politician. Oh, I don't think I mentioned it, but he was an independent. Oh, yeah. He'll but never get elected. We're a two-party... No. Two-party country. Yes. Which is... Yeah. Unless you're a sheriff, what's his butt? He got... He was a ride-in. Yeah. Well, for so, constable. Yeah. But still, he was a ride-in. Rarely happens. Yeah. But so he would show up to these campaign events wearing all black with, like, a cloak and sunglasses... And what? in some cases, he would become violent. Yeah, in nineteen ninety six, at an event, just
0: not Darth Vader,
1: <laughs> but just very all right. Like a he'd wear like a cloak or like a leather jacket. Or I'll read a quote in a minute. Someone says he has like a blanket. I don't know. <laughs> <You> know <strange laughs> I joke. mean, I
0: get the leather jacket because people like you know. But he's like a sitting smooth, there
1: badass. in the in like huh. in a debate or whatever. Wearing a leather jacket, indoors, sunglasses, talking about nonsense is what he was talking about. But he would often become violent in these, like, just events for the camp, for campaigns. And at one time, he actually picked up an American flag and pointed the spiked end of the flagpole, you know, at the very Mm -hmm. top of it. Forgot what they're called. (laughs) He, like, pointed it at a representative, like, threatening him with the spike on the flagpole. I need you to go
0: get Aiden so he can tell us what the thing is called. Because he's supposed to know that, right?
1: No, they're building a desk right now. <laughs> for you? No. For oh. Aiden's bedroom. Anyway, so he pointed this, this spiky thing on the flag at a representative before running out of the building. And in 2000, he punched an organizer of a different event. So, I mean, card wild card. obnoxious? I have no information. But if you're running for a political position. You probably shouldn't be punching the organizer of the political event. Probably not. His actions were so concerning that the city manager and the police chief actually assigned an undercover officer to follow around the other candidate for protection. Oh, for protection? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. They were like, "Oh, um, this guy's unhinged. unhinged." Why not follow him around too? I don't know. Ironically, though, his focus for his campaigns was juvenile mental health and psychotropic, psychotropic drugs prescriptions. And he would go on rants. He would go on rants about all kinds of crazy things. <laughs> Our kids need drugs. No, he did not want them to have drugs. Oh. In a statement he gave in 2000, he said a plague of child and adolescent psych- psychiatry treated overwhelm. Alexandria, He's saying there's too many kids that have been treated Doped up yeah. for mental illnesses. And then he said, terrorism, child exploitation, and adolescent abuse by child and adolescent psychiatrists who peddle dope for profit under the guise of academia and clinical practice must be eradicated. So yeah, he doesn't want kids to be drugged up. Yeah.
0: I mean, I can agree that maybe we hand out Adderall a little too easily. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to punch someone in the face for it.
1: (laughs) He, um, I watched a, 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 like, a debate. That's what I watched. Some of it. And he was just ranting about none of it made sense. Nothing he was saying made sense. Much like... What, the story I'm trying to tell you right now. None of it makes we, sense. We should link the video on our Facebook post. If I can find it. It was in the show that I watch. So mm. I'll, have, I'll have to see if I can find, like, the actual No, you video.
0: take a recording on your cell phone and you post that. Obviously. That's so much work.
1: <laughs> so Northern Virginia Bureau Chief Julie Carey said... What made him so identifiable in O-Town and at debates is that he would wear often like a blanket over his shoulders. He did not look like the typical candidate. (laughs) She said that and she said he would just rant in his speeches, which he did. So to no one's surprise, in all three of his campaigns, he lost. And I have the breakdown. Do you want to hear how badly he lost? Yes. In 1996, for his shot at becoming the mayor of this great town... It was just between him and the one other candidate, um, Carrie Donnelly, the one who needed protection. Mm-hmm. And Charles walked away with 490 votes, while Donnelly had a majority at 5,030.
0: 490 people voted for him?
1: Yes. Do we have officers following those people? <sighs> I think it was because this guy, the guy that won was a Democrat. So it's probably like anybody but the Democrat is who we want in there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because it was just those two that were running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the '96 congressional election, remember I said he ran for Congress. There were five candidates. And aside from the write-ins, Charles had the least amount of votes with just (laughs) 0.32%. Oh, not even a whole percent. No, no. He had 740 votes, with the winning candidate having 152,334.
0: Jeez. How does he have 700 votes?
1: I don't know. <sighs> and finally, again in 2000, he went up against the Donnelly for mayor. And this time there was another independent, Robert P. V, who was in the race, and Donley won again with 16,939 votes. PV had 6,223 votes and Charles had 379 votes. Which way more people voted in that election for mayor than they did in 96 because in 96 only like 5,500 people voted and in this one nearly 20,000 or over twenty thousand people voted so i don't know if that was just like a population boom or what but that's a huge difference in the amount of people voting but it could have also been because
0: if you know that one candidate is more likely to win over the others maybe you're just like ah he'll win but maybe Maybe. the other guy was like could have actually been a contender so they decided Mm -hmm. no i need to show up to the polls
1: maybe i didn't look too i didn't look into like the campaign like leading up to it so yeah it might have been like a crazy time between those two the other two not him (laughs) the other two people anyway the point is that he ran for an elected elected position three times and lost horribly all three times (laughs) which i would imagine would happen when you show up to a campaign event in a black cloak and threaten to stab people with a flagpole
0: (laughs) or wearing a blanket
1: Mm -hmm. so we're going to skip ahead to veterans day of 2013 69-year-old Ron Kirby, a regional transportation planner, had been home trying to fix a leaky kitchen sink, but after being unsuccessful, he gave up and decided to call a plumber. Later that day, when Ron's son arrived at the house for lunch, what he saw was something no one wants to see. He opened the front door and saw his father lying there, and he had been shot twice in the chest and a third time in the hip. And mm. well, We know nothing good happens in 2013, 2013 when sergeant michael cautious my people have weird names too (laughs) when he searched the home he found no unusual fingerprints there didn't seem to be a forced entry but what he did find was two more rounds one was in the piano and one was in a radiator and officers believe that someone just knocked on the door like this knock knock knock
0: thank you i had forgotten how to do that Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so someone knocked on the door, and when Kirby opened it, thinking it was the plumber, he opened it and was shot. There was nothing missing, and there didn't seem to be any motive. So, it was like someone just knocked on the door, shot him, and left. So, after speaking to the plumber that Kirby had called, investigators learned that he had... The plumber had called Kirby to say he was on his way. And Kirby was like, alright, I'll be here, I'll let you in when you get here. That phone call took place at 11.32 a.m., But once the plumber got to the home around 11.42, that morning, no one came to the door when he knocked. So he just moved on to his next call for the day. I mean, he's got a job to do. So it's a very tight 10-minute window of opportunity. And, Rhonda, you already know this, but in my research, I had to go watch an ID show called (laughs) See No Evil. How And I was very upset about this because I was just reading my article... Getting all the stuff, and then it's like to find out what happens. Go watch the show, and I was like, I don't want to. I don't want to watch the show. I just want to read it. Yeah, Ugh. and these actors were bad. Oh no, <laughs> they're bad. So bad. It has nothing to do with the case. I just wanted to let you know that when the son in the reenactment found his father, it was it was bad. It was real bad.
0: We should petition for. At least B class
1: actors this was like to portray this was at most M class (laughs) actors. (laughs) It was real bad. Yeah, no,
0: we should petition for better acting in some of these crime reenactments. Yeah, like the ID shows, they're so bad. True crime is becoming very popular. So Mm -hmm. it'll
1: get watched. They'll have the viewership, especially And this was like season nine. Oh, like come boy. on, you don't have any people that are like just like, like go to regulars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have regular people on there. No, it was bad. Anyway, doesn't matter. I was just upset that I had to. I was forced to sit through this show <laughs> to
0: find out what happened.
1: Mm-hmm. So they, the police, spoke to the family, and Kirby didn't appear to have any known enemies. So officers sent out for an expedited ballistics report, and they learned that the gun used in the murder was a 22 caliber which apparently is an odd caliber to use. I don't mm-hmm. David walked in and said, "22 caliber, were they hunting rabbits?" So, whatever. <laughs> I don't know.
0: They're just really small bullets, but they're effective. Yeah.
1: Well, it's so unusual to use that in a murder that the in that area, the only other murder that had happened with a 22 caliber was 10 years earlier in 2003 and it turns out that those two murders have some odd similarities oh. other than just a 22 caliber. So in 2003, Nancy Dunning was found dead by her son and her husband just before Christmas on December 5th. So 19 years ago yesterday if you're listening to this on the release date, <laughs> and she had been found inside her front door just like Kirby and she had been shot three times with a 22 caliber and she has she was shot in the chest and in her left arm and behind her ear. And these shots are all sporadic. I don't know. But I don't think he's aiming. He's just like, just shooting, hoping to kill yeah, whoever opens if, the door.
0: If you're standing at the door when someone opens it, you're maybe three feet away. Even if you fire from the hip, you could get multiple rounds into their stomach without even moving.
1: Yeah, because that's, like, what I say, the chest, the left arm, and behind her ear. ear. It's, like, all over the place. So, much like the case in 2013, there were no unusual fingerprints, there was no DNA, and it didn't appear that anyone had, like, broken into the home or stolen anything. Detectives found a Target receipt from earlier in the day when Nancy had been doing some shopping for a family in need for Christmas. Once they viewed the surveillance, they saw a man enter the store and follow her around, And then she checked out at 10.30, and the man hurried to follow her as she left. She was only in Target for 15 minutes, which I don't understand how. Physically impossible. The only time I've ever been in Target for, like, a short amount of time is when I worked near one, and I would go in and grab food on my lunch break and then go back to work. Like, I'm on a mission. I'm here to get food and then leave.
0: Yeah, no, sometimes you can't even go in and use the bathroom in 15 minutes.
1: There's no way. Well, it's well, true. I mean, there was surveillance. She did it.
0: I just gift don't know she how. Was she had
1: like a full cart, too. No. It was a full cart. This lady, I don't know, she had it down. She knew. She mapped out the store. Yeah, I was about to say maybe <laughs> she was so
0: familiar that she already knew where everything
1: was located. She had a list and she stuck to it. I don't know. I can't do that when I go on a Target. No. Even if I have a list, there's no sticking to it. Mm so police tried to identify the man. He was wearing jeans, a black shirt, and a black leather jacket and the footage was released to the media. but again this was in 2003. so it was like grainy. By the time they blew it up to get a still frame, like it wasn't very helpful in identifying the man. Yeah. And eventually the case went cold. But it was late 2013, early 2014 that police were trying to figure out if these two could be connected because they're pretty similar. They're ten years apart, but they're pretty similar. In what yeah, happened, yeah, and just like the randomness
0: of it, and the mm-hmm.
1: shot
0: in the location right there
1: in the foyer, they weren't that far away from each other. The the homes of the two people weren't that far away from each other. Yeah, so they were trying to find the man in the target surveillance again, but so with the technological advances between two thousand and three and two thousand and thirteen, they were able to clean up the footage and to have a a bit of a better image but even then it had been so long the man probably looks way different from 10 years
0: I look exactly the same as I did 10 years ago thank you
1: no (laughs) no you don't
0: I mean I wear less eyeliner now
1: that is the only difference right so also like who knows if he's even in the same area or like there's so many things that that changes in 10 years
0: Yeah, it's a long shot, but I mean, you got to give it a go, you know, like follow your theory.
1: So they brought the plumber in to see if maybe he had noticed anything, because that is such a short window. Ten minutes of time is such a short window of time. Yeah. And he said that he had seen an older white male with a beard that was walking in the area that morning when he was headed to Kirby's home. He didn't recognize him or really pay much attention. It was just a man walking down the street. But police showed him the cleaned up images from the target footage and asked if it was the same man. But of course, like he couldn't confirm because they didn't really look the same because the guy in the video had dark hair. He had no beard. He was younger. It's, I mean, tough to match some random person you saw walking down the street compared to a decade old surveillance footage. Yeah. That's a
0: long shot, but
1: yeah. It would almost be like, I wouldn't believe it if someone was like, yeah, that's them. Like, I wouldn't even believe it. (laughs) So this case was starting to look like it was going to go cold, too. But that's when police received a 911 call. It was the neighbor of an elderly woman. And on the call, he tells dispatch that her caregiver, Janet Franco, had just like ran over and told him that there was an intruder in the house. This was February 6, 2014, so three months after Kirby's death. The neighbor got the elderly woman and walked her to his house so that she would be safe and away from the commotion, but the caregiver had ran back into the home because the elderly woman's daughter, Ruth Ann, had been shot. Mm. So Sheriff Lawhorn arrived just as Ruth Ann was being loaded into the back of an ambulance and... Like I said, she had been shot, but she was alive at the time. So he knew Ruthann, the sheriff did. He had known her for years. And so he hopped in the back of the ambulance with her. And he asked her if she had, like, if she'd seen the shooter. And she shook her head yes. And then he said, you know, do you know him? And she shook her head no. And it was shortly after that that Ruthann was pronounced dead. Oh. So living in this home was the elderly woman ruth ann which was her daughter the husband ruth ann's husband and then the caregiver janet so janet told the police like what had happened that morning ruth ann was there she was getting ready for to go to appointment and around 11 30 there was a knock at the door and she opened the door and was immediately shot in the chest and then the left arm so janet comes out into the foyer because she heard the shots yeah, and She sees a white male with a beard, and he shoots her and he hits her left arm, and then he just continues to, like, fire multiple rounds until he panics and turns and runs out the door. <laughs> so the caretaker then gets Ruthann's mother, takes her to the neighbor where the 911 call happens, and then she goes back and she sits with Ruthann until the paramedics get there. Yeah. Which, good for her for not being scared oh. to go back to the house. Yeah. So with all of the shots, there were bullets, like, all over the place, and oh. they were the same twenty-two caliber. So it was very easy for them to connect this murder to the Nancy Dunning murder. I mean, same type of bullet and knock on the door. They open, you shoot them, and it was, like, three months later. So it's much easier to connect this than it was the 10-year gap. Right, yeah. So, so were there came none back. in what? between
0: those 10 years?
1: Nope. Huh. Ballistics came back and showed that while the murderer didn't use the same gun for the murders, it was the same type of gun—a North American Arms twenty-two revolver. And according to my husband, who decided to sit on the couch right as this was going on, it's a cheap throwaway gun that I've apparently shot one very similar to. I guess I shot an over-under and not a revolver. I have no idea what that means, but I don't—I don't know. There you go. I've shot one very similar. <laughs> Why do you have throwaway guns, Pam? I don't have throwaway guns. They, it was one of his friends who took us to the shooting range and it was a little bit tiny gun. He's a baby. I don't know. That was, that was the extent of David's input into this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Other than you just have to shoot rabbits. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, the community was on high alert because it was seeming that there was a serial killer on the loose. So, Janet was able to give a description to get a sketch together of the attacker, and the sketch matched that man that the plumber had seen walking down the street around the time of Kirby's murder. And so, they released the sketch to the public and just waited. Can you imagine, though, you're in this neighborhood and there's been these two knock on the door and then shot murders? (laughs) I'm not answering my door ever again. No, never again. So, in the meantime, they searched the neighborhood looking for neighbors in the area that had cameras. So, this was, like I said, 2014, early 2014. There's cameras around. Yeah, home surveillance. Not as much as now, even, but yeah, there was cameras. A nearby home had a surveillance camera that pointed towards the street that the killer would have driven on to leave the residence. Mm Mm-hmm. And they saw a car ride around the time of the murder traveling way faster than any other cars on the footage. So it caught their attention. They said the speed limit was 15 miles an hour. That is too slow. <laughs> so I would always be suspicious because how can you drive 15 Yeah, it is really hard
0: to maintain 15 miles an hour. It is very difficult.
1: Well, they were able to follow that car on other cameras it was a red ford escort wagon which that's not an uncommon car but it was an older model of the car mm-hmm. when they zoomed in on one of the cameras it appeared to have an older white man with a beard driving it so they're like this is it this is our car but they could not get a clear shot of the license plate so they just searched for that type of car within a 50 mile radius of the crime scene but it didn't pan out it didn't. much yeah it didn't help them any So, people began to call in with thousands of tips, though, off of this sketch. And one tip led to a man who lived nearby, and police went to interview him. But his alibi checked out, and they were like, okay, well, this isn't the guy. But he told police, I actually know a guy who looks like that target surveillance footage. His name is Charles Severance, and it wouldn't surprise me if he would have been involved in this. (laughs) He's weird as heck. Like, I know you're here because someone said that they thought I did it, but actually, <laughs> I think... Well,
0: classic. Are you trying to mislead us here, Pam? Because that's a classic mi- misdirection. Like I'm not trying to
1: mislead you. Redirection, rather. <laughs> Seems like it, but it's not. So, police began to look into Sir Severance. <laughs> sir? And, he's a sir now. <laughs> and they found an old video of him. From one of his campaigns, which is what I was talking about earlier. And when you know what, he looks a lot like the guy from the 2003 Target surveillance footage. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The man in the video and Charles in 2000 both had a very pronounced widow's peak and a receding hairline. Not the combination. <laughs> yeah. So detectives got a search warrant before heading to Charles's girlfriend's house. But he wasn't there however they found a receipt in the home and what do you think goes for first of all somebody was dating this man there's someone for everyone
0: <laughs> okay fair a receipt for
1: m&ms no a north american arms 22 revolver no m&ms he might have bought m&ms too They did find other guns in the home and twenty-two caliber bullets, but they did not find the actual murder weapon for either of the shootings before. So it's like he had throwaway guns, as my husband said, because neither of those guns were the same and they did not find those guns in the search. Imagine that. So Charles Severance had a prior conviction for carrying a concealed weapon. Therefore he was banned from owning a gun. This gave police reason to seek a warrant for his, a warrant for his arrest for possession of a firearm as a felon. Oh. But they had to find him first. Mm Mm-hmm. So they put alerts on his credit cards and bank accounts. And on March 12th, they received a hit that he had left his house and drove into Washington, D.C., where he then bicycled from, into the Russian embassy and said that he was seeking asylum because the Alexandria police were persecuting him. He biked. Is he Russian? I don't. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um. He was turned away, though. So, and they oh. called the police, and they were like, "Hey, the Secret this Service. We're like this guy is here. We got Even pictures of him. If the Russians don't want you, <laughs> man." Well, they... The Secret Service had gotten photos of him and sent them to the police. All of the... Yeah. And they were very similar to the sketches. And they were like, this is our... This is our guy. So, at about the same time that police were viewing the photos from the Secret Service, they received a hit from his bank account. And he had booked a hotel room in Wheeling, West Virginia. So, the Wheeling police were notified that this man may be armed and dangerous... And they forwarded his photos to the Secret Service. In the photo, I'm gonna try to find it that I can post, but he's standing there, he's talking to whoever he's talking to at the embassy and he has a blue bike and it has a strap on it that's like yellow and black. Mm-hmm. And so the police in Wheeling get that photo and like across the street from the police department is a library and that bike is l- chained up to a pole outside the library (laughs) okay so they send in undercover officers because they didn't want to send in like officers in uniform yeah in case he's armed and so they go in and they see him at one of the computers they grab him from behind they arrest him he was calm though i mean he went without any trouble back to the police station but crazy but not uh suicidal yeah so his car was outside the hotel and was impounded, and once police searched it, the car looked like it had been lived in for a while. And there was a gun cleaning kit, there was books, there was journals. and the journals he would write weird things about <laughs> his <this> hate guy. <laughs> about his hate for the Alexandria utopian elites, okay. He wrote about the sweet sounds of a North American arms, 22 revolver and murdering cops. And in one notebook, he had written about knocking on a door and killing whoever answered it. And it, in a court document, it said, it's like a poem. It's like a poem that he wrote. It says, knock, enter a metaphor, a translation, a mystery. Knock and the door will be answered. Seek and ye shall find knock and the door will open. Ask and ye shall know. Wisdom, knock, talk, enter, kill, exit. Murder, wisdom, patience is an excuse for cowardice. Jesus is the Lord. Like a haiku. He's a very good poet. (laughs) That was beautifully written. (laughs) On another page, it said, Can you forgive someone for kidnapping your son? Can you murder someone for kidnapping your son? And then another writing was introduce murder into a safe and secure neighborhood it shudders with horror do it again and again and again add violence and increase uncertainty among status quo utopian oppressive elites emotionally disturb them with violence Nang. Nice. so his motive was to instill fear into a safe community and seek revenge for the loss of his custody to his son and revenge to the loss for his political campaigns against the utopian elites well because you're a crazy person buddy not <laughs> so he went to trial and the plumber identified him and janet the caregiver she took the stand she i did deed him as the person who killed ruthann and shot her yeah um he did not do well in court he was loud he would shout at the judge He ranted and carried on. It was just a fun time for everybody who was there. No, he sat very well, Pam. He's a very (laughs) well-mannered boy. He said nothing to address his crimes, but he did speak in length on other matters. Immediately after the sheriff deputies brought him into the courtroom in a wheelchair. I don't know why he was in a wheelchair. He was in a wheelchair. He could ride a bike, but now he can't walk and he has to be wheeled Um, in. (laughs) Was he strapped into the wheelchair? I don't know. I don't... I don't know. He was in a wheelchair, though. Maybe, maybe he was trapped in. Because he may but have he... been like disabled from walking. Like yeah. they made it so
0: he couldn't walk, and they had to right maybe. have another means of getting like getting him places.
1: But like as soon as they took him in there, he leaned into the microphone and he's like sadism, sadism. <laughs> so he tried to have his attorneys removed, and he seeked a protection order against them for his safety. Oh. <laughs> And he said, I don't want to be presented by people who make statements against my interest. Please it's unusual tell me. punishment. <laughs> Please tell me he represented himself. He did not. No. Ugh. So Alexandria Commonwealth's attorney, Brian Porter, said that um, Charles was driven by the same anger and hatred and prosivity for violence that fuels mass shootings. Proclivity? Proclivity for violence (laughs) that fuels mass shootings. (laughs) What did I even say? Procivity? I don't know what I said. (laughs) I know it's proclivity. I don't know what I said. (laughs) Um, We are out of practice. That one week off was not good for us. He said he contrasted the good that was done by the victims with that rage noting that charles would soon be transported to a maximum security prison and spend the rest of his life quote, "wallowing in the anger and loathing that marks his time on earth." He said violence does not win. In the end, flying in the face of senseless violence and despair has been exhibited in this case. It is in hmm. It is an <laughs> incontributable fact that love wins. So finally, the jury came back and they found him guilty of two capital murder charges and was given three life sentences, plus 48 years and a $400,000 fine that will never be paid. Ever. Symbolic. Mm Mm-hmm. Just to slap it on there. Just, I guess if he tries to sell a story, then it's gonna, the money's gonna go to whoever, but. that's fair. Yeah, nobody sues him for the rights to his story. And there you go. That was his this crazy guy's revenge for losing a political race. For losing his kid. And that too. That's what he was upset about. I think he was slightly schizophrenic. A little bit, you think. Which is just ironic that he was so against
0: children getting gr- drugs. yeah. Yeah.
1: Which I I guess it's not ironic. I guess it makes sense for a schizophrenic to be
0: paranoid about
1: paranoid about that but it's just wow this guy
0: <laughs> had the, i think he could make money off of that poem if he published
1: it Ah, uh, maybe let me may read it to you again yeah it was beautiful i lost it oh i just like where well, he's like knock talk enter kill exit murder <laughs> wisdom <laughs> what are you doing? Jesus is the Lord Jesus is the Lord anyway
0: that's my case alright well thanks for tuning in with us
1: we're happy to have given you an episode after you so patiently awaited Rhonda played on her phone my entire case. I did not. She did. I, I probably paid in. more attention during your case than what you paid during mine. No, I paid attention during your entire case. You I did. couldn't tell you all the names cuz you had like a billion names, but I there paid were attention to names.
0: There are a lot of people involved.
1: The only thing I looked up during your case this whole time was the thing you told me to look up and to prove you wrong about 27,000 being a large county. <laughs> I said a decent sized. I never normally said it was I look all kinds of things up while you're talking. <laughs>
0: Just not today. Okay, not what today. was your guys' name? Charles Charles Severance. American computer, computer scientist. No no no
1: no. You had to type in serial killer after that. <laughs> this was a tough one. I did some digging to find this, Rhonda. Yeah.
0: Oh wow. He looks crazy. <laughs> He's got like really wild eyes and this. Like, bushy, unkempt beard and long hair. Which I feel like I'm describing some of my friends. <laughs> he he has a very severe look about him, though.
1: He looks like he'd be a cult leader in another life. Possibly. Well, here he is when he was younger. Did he- you see the sketch compared to him? It's pretty good. Like, the nose is, like, right on. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll share this stuff very like intense eyes oh he is not strapped into his his wheelchair by the way I can see a full body wheelchair if I in this picture he is not strapped in he just magically can't walk anymore it's a sympathy he's going for the sympathy
0: um that's probably why he screamed satanism here he is making a face that's funny
1: sadism
0: sadism sorry He's he's going for the um you know Mental instability. Mm-hmm. Look here's, here's one of him making a face. Oh boy. You should look up Buford.
1: I looked up his his museum. He you can see some of his
0: his pictures holding his stick and his like face after he was shot. Mm-hmm. And a couple of pictures like they tried to do the reconstructive surgery. Here's one of him as a wrestler. A wrestler. A wrestler. Check out. There's one of him with Easter's Dolly Parton. Sweet Ride.
1: Oh, B, that is Dolly. Probably after his first movie was released. We will post some of these pictures so you all can enjoy them.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for sticking with us, you guys. And tune in next week for another wonderful episode. Bye. Bye.